All right, you ready for God's word? Let's get into it together, shall we? Let's pray. Ask the Holy Spirit to teach us and instruct us uh, in his word. I'm excited about our series in the book of Colossians. So can we just start with the word of prayer as we begin our study in God's word today? Father, we're thankful that that you have shown up in such a magnificent way today and revealed yourself to us even during worship. And Lord, we celebrate you today. Lord, as we hone our attention now and focus on the scriptures, Lord, we thank you that the word of God is alive and it is powerful. And we ask that today it would be powerful to to deal specifically with us, maybe to bring us in better alignment with who you are. Today, as we study Colossians, we're remembering that Jesus Christ is everything and you are supreme. So we ask that you'd underscore that and equip us even to be better witnesses for you so that as we confront all the strange philosophies that uh, crisscross our land today, we'll be better prepared to share the truth. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Last week we began a series entitled Colossians, Jesus Christ is Everything. Jesus Christ is everything. And last week, we did some introductory material, and I'm not going to reread all of that section that we covered last week, but just quick review to make sure that everybody understands uh, who the, the principles are in this particular book. This is a letter that is written by the Apostle Paul. He is writing it from a Roman prison, and he is writing it in about 60 A.D., He's writing it to the people who live in an area called Colossae, which was at that time a a significant city, although over time it declined in importance. But there were two other cities close by, Laodicea and Hierapolis, that also shared this letter from the Apostle Paul. And so Paul is the author of it, the Colossians are the recipients of it, and he sends this letter to them with basically two purposes. One, he is wanting to encourage and strengthen the Christians that are a part of this young church. One of the interesting little side notes is Paul didn't know these people personally. He only knew them through Epaphras. And we'll talk a little bit about Epaphras this morning. So Epaphras was with him in the Roman prison, likely, when he was writing this letter to the Colossians. He was writing them to encourage them in their faith, but also to confront and to combat some errors that had seeped into the church. You know, I'm amazed these days at how many Christians really are oblivious to how much erroneous thinking and teaching there is rampant in the body of Christ. Maybe it's fueled by our easy access to media, but, but it's amazing to me how weird people can get in their thinking and their believing simply by taking, uh, taking what someone says just because uh, they like them or they like the program that they're on or something like that. We need to be more grounded than that, amen? We really need to have our roots grounded in God's word, and that's going to help us through all of those confusing things. And so we see uh, here's a map of the area in which uh, Colossae was located. If you can see Laodicea, it's hard for you to really see it on this small map, but it was in the area that today is Turkey. It was Asia Minor, and it was really close to where Laodicea is located, about a 
500 miles east of Ephesus, all right? And we began last week with the early greetings in this letter and how Paul was greeting them and introduced himself. And we started into the section that I simply calling a Thanksgiving section. And it's from verse 3 to verse 8, and I'm going to reread that to you. And it basically talks about what Paul is being thankful for. And he covers a number of things. There's four specific things that Paul talks about being thankful for. First of all, it's a great lesson uh, of how we need to always be thankful. We We just need to be grateful. Sometimes we have trouble with developing an attitude of gratitude. Paul is a great example and model here for us of how we need to be thankful. And he's very specific in what he's thankful for. In verses 3 through 5, he talks about being thankful for the Colossians themselves. Remember, he's never met them, but he's expressing his thankfulness for them. He's building them up by just saying, I've heard this about you, and your pastor has told me this about you, and I'm just thankful for you as the Colossians. And then he shifts over in verse 5 and verse 6 to saying that he's thankful for the gospel. We'll talk about and unpack this this morning. He's thankful for the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And then he talks about being thankful for Epaphras, Epaphras, who was the evangelist that founded the church at Colossae and is now their pastor. And finally, he says, and I am thankful for our new position in Christ. And that's found in verses 12 through 14. So that's the big outline of this section of scripture where Paul is being very thankful. So let's just review a little bit for, uh, for our, our reminder's sake. I'm just going to read verses 3 through verse 8, which talks about, which is this Thanksgiving section. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, the faith and the love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you've already heard about the word of truth. So there he's being thankful for what? For the Colossians. And he's specific about what it is he's thankful for there. Now he shifts to the second section. He said about what you've already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you all over the world, this gospel is producing fruit and is growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all of its truth. Now he shifts to Epaphras. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and also who told us about your love in the Spirit. Now skip down to to verse 12, and he says, Giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us, from the dominion of darkness, and he has brought us into the kingdom of the Son uh, he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Notice that the tone of this whole section is Paul's just erupting in thanksgiving. He has a lot of things that he's thankful for, all right? So we've already talked about his thankfulness for the Colossian church. Now he shifts and he begins to talk about his thankfulness for the gospel itself. So let's just talk a little bit about what he's uh, 
addressing here as he speaks about the gospel. First of all, what does the word gospel mean? Literally, what is it? Good news. Turn to your neighbor and say, good news. Did you know that we have good news? He is reminding these people, these believers in this church, you have already received good news. Who did they hear it from? They heard it from Epaphras and then whatever had grown out of that. So in these couple of verses, two verses, he brings out and focuses on four key elements about the gospel, about the good news. By the way, it's not just good news like um, we're having waffles for breakfast this morning. That may be good news to you. It may not be. But anyway, uh, that, it's not that kind of good news. It's good news that focuses on what? What Jesus Christ has done for us. That is the pinnacle of the good news that he's talking about. And the fact is that when we believe and we put faith, heart, trust in what Jesus Christ has done for us, what will it do? It gives us new life. It gives us a new position. And it causes us to grow in the Lord. That's the good news that he's referencing, all right? We notice four things that he mentions about the gospel. First of all, he says the gospel is the truth of God. He says that in the second part of verse 5. He says what which you've already heard in the true message of the gospel. He's saying the gospel is truth, and it's the truth from God. A lot of people have a lot of other opinions. A lot of people have all kinds of philosophies. But Paul is making sure that we are properly centered, and we know that this gospel is truth from God. The second thing he notices is that the gospel is for the whole world. In other words, Colossians, this isn't just for you. This isn't just for the elite. This isn't for just the rich. This isn't just for those that are poor and really struggling. This is for everybody. He says it's for people all over the world. Look at what he says. Uh, He says, uh, the true gospel that has come to you in the same way the gospel is bearing fruit and growing where? Throughout the whole world just as it's been doing from the since the time that you began to hear it. So what is he emphasizing? This good news message is for the whole world. It is going everywhere. It's going all over the world. And it's the same good news for everyone. It doesn't change. It's constant. And it also will work wherever it goes. The gospel to the world, by the way, I think you all understand, but he was probably kind of subtly was saying, it's your responsibility, Colossians, not to just be you know, be all happy because you're, you know that you're a new creation. You know that you've been saved, your sins are forgiven. That's good. But you are also responsible to do what? You are responsible to broadcast it and share it with others. In fact, the whole world is waiting to hear. Do you think that our responsibility is any different today? No. In fact, we have a whole lot more advantages today to get it done, don't we? We have, a, we have a mandate to take this good news into all the world. Amen? So the gospel is the truth of God. The gospel is for the whole world. And then he adds, and everywhere that this gospel's been going, it's been what? It's been productive. It's been producing life and growth. I don't know about you, but that's just kind of cool just to think about the good news in and of itself. That message of truth has some energy built up into it that will, when it is shared, it bears fruit. Romans tells us in chapter 1 and verse 16 that the gospel is, though who can finish it, is the power of God. Romans 1.16, the gospel is the power of God. 
Now, we know the Holy Spirit brings power. Just think about it, though. The very just, the good news message is the power of God unto salvation. Sometimes all we need to do is simply put out this good news message and watch the result as it begins to bring good results in the lives of those who receive it. Hopefully, we're all growing, continuing to grow, but the gospel, the good news of Jesus, the word of God is producing ongoing growth and development in all of our lives. Listen, growth doesn't happen apart from God's word. Growth as a believer, as a Christian, does not happen apart from the word of God. So if you think you're just kind of growing just because time is going on, I have a feeling that you may be not realize it possibly, but you may be stagnant in your growth. You may be actually declining in your growth. Right, because the level of the word in your life is not where it needs to be. So here is an emphasis. Paul simply being thankful, but he's putting an emphasis on what? The power of the gospel. The final point that he makes is the gospel is the grace of God. Notice he says in verse 6, just as it has been doing among you since the day you first heard it and truly understood, what does he call it here? God's grace. The point of the matter is the gospel is grace-based. Aren't you glad that it's grace-based? What does that mean? I don't have to earn it. I don't have to pay for it. I don't deserve it. It changes my life. It'll make me into a new person. It makes me acceptable in God but it's not because of how good I've been. How many of us were undeserving? I mean, we've got past that we don't even want to talk about it all this morning. Am I right? Right? Y'all all all looking very holy and sanctified this morning. Come on, we all have past before before Jesus. Amen? I don't care if you were raised in church. We have something that is before Christ, right? And under the blood. And we're thankful it's, it's a gospel of grace. Amen? Now look, he's saying, I'm thankful for the Colossians. Number two, he's thankful for the gospel. And number three, he says, and I'm also thankful for your pastor. I am thankful for Epaphras. You know, stepping back, sidebar comment real quickly. One thing I've noticed Paul is really good at, if you read all of his letters and epistles in the New Testament, you study that, he's an encourager. He's always, in his writings, and I'm sure it was true in person as well, he's always trying to build someone up. And he always says, oh, by the way, y'all greet so-and-so. Tell so-and-so, when you know, that group that was meeting in her home, tell her, oh, hello for me. He didn't have to do that. And he's always, he's bragging on people. He's affirming people. He also doesn't have a trouble confronting people when they're wrong either. Isn't that right, Ariel? But I mean, he's, he, if he has a cause to affirm someone and lift them up, he's doing that. Look, he has a friend. It's one of his coworkers. Paul won Epaphras to the Lord, one of his converts. He considered Epaphras a spiritual son. Epaphras went into the area of Colossae to evangelize, and it resulted in what? A bunch of people coming to Jesus. So Epaphras formed them into a body of believers, and then he became their lead pastor, their shepherd, and now he is visiting with Paul. He's telling him all about the stuff that's going on with these Christians down in Colossae, and Paul adopts. He adopts them as his own. He's he's saying, man, if it's important to you, Epaphras, it's important to me. And this is what he says he's thankful for regarding Epaphras. In verse 7, it says, you learned it, learned what? The gospel. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, 
who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us about your love in the Spirit. We learn four things very quickly about Epaphras. Number one, we learn that he brought the gospel to the Colossians. He was the one responsible for it. Number two, we learn that he was a fellow servant or a co-laborer with Paul. The actual word there is son doulos. We know the word doulos is servant, and he's saying he is a son in Greek, son doulos, which means a co-servant or a fellow servant in the Lord. In other words, I'm a servant of the Lord, Paul's saying, and here's one of my co-laborers, my fellow servants in the Lord. So now we learn that he's a servant. He's a servant leader, and that's to his credit, right? It also tells us that he's a faithful minister. Very descriptive. Who is a faithful minister of Christ? Did you know that there are some ministers that are not faithful? He is commending him here because he is faithful. He's faithful to the word. He's faithful in prayer. He's faithful to the people. He's devoted to them and to their growth and to the vision. He is a faithful minister. And then lastly, we learn he's thankful for what? He says, and he's told me about your love. He has reported to me about your love. He has told us about your love in the Spirit. So he was very commending to Epaphras. And remember, he's writing this letter, and Epaphras is right here beside him. How many of you think Epaphras was going, I'm feeling better already. Boy, Paul's talking, Paul's talking about me. I'm sure he was edified, but I guarantee you when the people, Epaphras had been away for a little time, how, what do you think happened when the people began to read that to everybody who was present? They were going, he, he's talking about our pastor. He's talking about Epaphras. Isn't that good? Yeah, oh, that's great. So Paul is being thankful, expressing thanksgiving. He's not done either. So he's been thankful for what? Number one, the Colossians. Number two, he's been thankful for the gospel. Number three, he's thankful for Epaphras. And one more really vital thing. He then starts, begins to talk in verse 12 through 14 about being thankful for our new position in Christ. He begins to express in between here, and we don't have time for it this morning, he also gives a little prayer, a petition prayer, where he's asking for some specific things. But as we shift down to verse 12, he says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves and whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Paul has this way of stringing stuff together in a sentence. I mean, it feels like it's just a run-on sentence. It just runs and it runs and it runs. He just keeps adding stuff. And so that's why we find he, has a, he, he loves lists. Paul just loves lists. And so now he provides us a list. And once again, he's offering thanksgiving for this, but he's also writing this to them to do what? To teach and remind them of who they are in Christ. This is vital. He's saying, listen, believers, y'all need to remember what God has done on your behalf and where you stand and what your position is. And he lists for us five very specific benefits of being in this new position. This is, an, is not an exclusive list by any means, but it's a good one for us to be reminded of. So let's look at the list together. Number one, Paul recalls what? That we are heirs. We are heirs, giving joyful thanks to the Father who has 
qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. Did you know if it weren't for God, we wouldn't be qualified to be heirs? It's not our own accomplishments. This is not a performance thing. This isn't like, well, if we do up this, we, we get up this high, then we really, uh, we get this award. It's not that kind of thing. Yes, we're going to receive a reward for our works in heaven one day as believers, but he's talking about what every one of us as Christians have given to us positionally simply because God has said, I'm accepting you into my family. I adopt you into my family. Now as a member of my family, as one of my kids, God says, here are some benefits that you get. You know, if someone adopted you, don't you think that you just automatically get everything that was a part of the family deal? So they've got a vacation home. Guess what? You get to go enjoy the vacation home, right? You don't get excluded from that. You've been adopted. You're, you've taken the last name. You are now part of the family. And so when we come into Christ, we are now taken out of our old life, put into our new life, out of Adam. We are now in Christ, and there's stuff that are benefits to us with that. I often tell Christians we have the greatest benefits package in the world. Better than any benefits package some human resource firm could come up with. He just gives us five here, so we'll just focus on this. Number one, we're heirs. An heir. Wow, I'm an heir of God. Romans and Galatians talk about we're heirs of God and we're co-heirs or joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Why? We're in the same family. We're heirs. You have an inheritance. The first chapter of Ephesians says to us as Christians, we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ in heavenly places. We are blessed. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're blessed. You're blessed as an heir. Number two, we are delivered. Notice it says we are rescued. NIV says we are rescued from out from under what the kingdom of darkness now he's getting ready to talk about benefit number three and after we're rescued from that we're going to get moved over to something else but let's just talk about that rescue oh that's so important we are delivered we are rescued from what the kingdom of darkness is a word speaking of uh, dominion and authority you and I once lived before Jesus in our old life. We lived under the authority of the prince of darkness. He has a kingdom. Satan has a kingdom, a dominion, a jurisdiction that he rules over. The Bible calls him the little g, God of this world system. And he flaunts it quite a bit. All right? So before Jesus, whether... You know, you like it or not, you were under his authority, Satan's authority. By the way, this really was disturbing when Paul, I mean, when Jesus used to say this to the Jews. There was nothing that got them more upset than when he said, your daddy's the devil. What? Because they were like, my father is Abraham. I'm a... And he just went, boom. He said, no, your father is the devil. Oh, they got upset at that. But it was the truth. Why? Because they were still under the kingdom of darkness. And only through Jesus can we get rescued. You are bound, shackled, 
under the load, the authority, the abusive tyranny of Satan's hand. You're under that kingdom. You're a resident under that kingdom. There's only one way out. You can't immigrate except through conversion. You can't leave that and join some other kingdom without Jesus doing the transfer. So under the old kingdom, oh, we could list all the qual- what was going on in the old kingdom, right? Sin was in control. We're bound. We can't break habits. We can't get free from all kinds of stuff. It, it's dark. That's why it's simply called the kingdom of darkness. It was dark, 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 dark. But the good news is we've been what? We've been delivered. We've been delivered, all right? Then he adds that, and not only rescued from the kingdom of darkness, from the kingdom of Satan, but we have now been transferred. We've been moved out from under, delivered from that dominion, that authority. Now we've been put over here in a new jurisdiction, in a new kingdom. And who is in charge of that kingdom? Jesus Christ. Remember the theme of this whole book is what? Jesus Christ is everything. Now we've been moved over here under the new kingdom, and it's no longer dark. It's light. Amen? And now we have a good Father. Now we are under the authority and the dictates of Jesus Christ, and it is a wonderful kingdom now that we are part of. He has brought us into the kingdom of the Son. He loves God. Only God could transfer you. You are now living in a new place. You are citizens of God. You are under his jurisdiction. You live under his kingdom rule. And that's why Jesus says when you pray, pray what? Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. I'm in your kingdom, but I'm seeing stuff around me. Doesn't look like it's lining up with kingdom things. So we pray your kingdom to come. But we are citizens in the kingdom of God. No longer in darkness, but in the kingdom of Jesus Christ, whom God loves so much. Turn to your neighbor and say, I've been transferred. I've been transferred. Huh? Some of you have had job transfers that didn't work out so well, right? This is, this is a great transfer that we are celebrating. Number four, he says, we're redeemed. He says, we're redeemed. Look what he says. He says, we've been transferred, verse 14, in whom, speaking of Christ, in whom we have redemption. All right? Redemption is a fancy theological word that basically means this, to be bought out from under by the payment of a price. It was a word that referred to slavery. So it was talking about people who had been in bondage, owned by slave owner, And then someone came and paid the price to buy the slave out from that old slave owner. And with that meant the breaking of the bondages, the breaking of the old chains, brought him out from under that and set him free. That sounds like good news to me. To be redeemed. To be redeemed. And, and, And just so we remember... Do you know what that price that was paid? There was only one price that could pull it off, that could actually buy us from bondage to Satan and bondage to sin. You know what that price was? The blood, the death of Jesus Christ. That was the redemption price. 
It's non-negotiable. There was no, well, maybe you take... There was one price, and it was the death of the Son of God. And it was paid willingly. So why? Because he was motivated by love to see you and me set free from that and be redeemed to way today we could, we could just stand up and praise God and we can say, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Say so. I'm redeemed. And I know a lot of people don't understand the word redeemed, but that's what it means to be bought out from under by a price, to be bought out from slavery. And he connects right to that in the scripture. With that is what? Forgiveness. So when we are redeemed, all of this happens when we meet Jesus. When we come to Jesus on his terms. All of that happens. And we are forgiven. Meaning what? Everything that happened in the past, everything that was covered in that old life, everything that was a part of that slave life and our bondage to sin and bondage to Satan has been forgiven wiped off the slate the debt has been paid and that forgiveness is ours not only just to magnify not just for past deeds done but when he paid for it and he gave us forgiveness from sin it's not just the past sin but when he paid for it and provided for us is forgiveness for past present and future sins it is all a part of the forgiveness package now we know our sins in the past are forgiven praise god the sin problem has been taken care of through jesus and the bible says what now if we sin today what do we do we confess that sin to the father right and he is faithful and just to forgive us he forgives us but it's already legally been paid for but experientially we receive the benefit of that forgiveness as we correct our fellowship with the father by the confession of our sin we're forgiven what an incredible benefit that we can celebrate today these are the things that paul is saying man i am so grateful for all of this i like his phrase in verse 12 he says giving joyful thanks don't these things make you joyful? Absolutely. Hopefully they make you thankful as well. Just in, in the couple of minutes here, I just want to introduce you to the next section, recognizing that I'm only going to introduce it and I, and I won't be able to go far until we just continue on in this study next week. Notice that the next section, beginning verse 15, verse 23, focuses on the supremacy of Christ. So we've had this greeting, we've had this thanksgiving, extensive thanksgiving section, and now Paul shifts to the supremacy of Christ. Some of you may remember last week I gave you a very broad outline. I said Paul's going to do three things throughout the book of Colossians. He's going to deal with some personal stuff, then he's going to deal with some doctrinal stuff, and then he's going to deal with some practical stuff. This is where we shift into the doctrinal. All right, so verses 15 through 23 are amazing, and they focus on the supremacy of Christ. May I just read this section with you, and then I'm just going to give you the, the kind of the two points on which uh, this section hinges on, and then we'll uh, finish for today. The supremacy of Christ. Um, yeah, let me mention this before we actually read the text. The problem that Paul is confronting in this letter was false teaching. False teaching whose aim was to do one thing. So we talked last week about this, and I'm going to be repeating it. It was to depreciate and to minimize Jesus. Okay? They, their whole goal was to bring him down. We're just putting him there along with all the other options. 
So it was to depreciate Jesus. Now, this is, this is what he was saying to them. He was basically saying to these false teachers and those that had begun to follow their teaching, he was saying, yes, to you, Jesus is important, but he's not essential. It's important, not essential. He goes on to say, yes, Jesus, you, you may be giving some place to him in your life, but you're not recognizing that he demands first place. See the difference? And then he's also saying, to you, yes, you may say, oh, well, we think a lot of Jesus. Have you ever heard cults talk? Oh, yeah, well, we respect Jesus Christ. I mean, Jesus, who he was and his life. And, you know, we even incorporate some of his teachings into what we teach. Friend, that's not enough. Amen. Cults do that all the time. False religions, world religions do that all the time. And here, Paul is directly confronting that thinking. He's saying, yes, Jesus may be prominent to you, but certainly he's not preeminent to you. He has to have first place, preeminent. He must be essential. That's kind of the, the frame that he's really making a big issue here in this, in this teaching. I'm going to jump to the text, and we'll come back and fill in some blanks next week because I just want you to hear the word, and then we'll close. This is verse 12, 15 through 23. See if you can feel his tone and emphasis on Jesus being supreme. The Son is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and visible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in all things he holds them together. Aren't we glad he's holding it together? And he, Jesus Christ, is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. That last line of verse 18 depicts this entire section. In fact, the whole book. That in everything he might have the supremacy. Verse 19, for God the Father was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on the earth, things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once, once you were alienated from God, you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy, separate in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope that is held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you have heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Not about you, but that just brings it all to a head. The pinnacle is what? Jesus is supreme. He is everything. Would you stand to your feet with me this morning? I'm concerned 
that today we hear through the media and talk and people's conversations, I hear frequently people talk about God. And if there's one thing I just want to leave you with, it's this. I appreciate a reference to God. But the Buddhists talk about God. Islam talks about God. Terrorists are doing things in the name of God. Do you know what makes our faith different? Is a focus on Jesus Christ, who was God. So I just want to warn you. Let's just keep first things first. And know what the, the, the real picture looks like. And never, ever, ever take our eyes off of Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Prayer teams can come forward. You may be here this morning and you may need to make a decision for this Jesus Christ. Maybe, maybe he's been important to you, but not essential. Maybe he's been prominent in your life, but not preeminent. Maybe he's had a place, but maybe not first place. And if you need to make that decision to give him that kind of place in your life and priority, I invite you to come and to have one of our prayer teams pray with you today to firm that decision up. I'm going to pray, and I hope that even as I pray, you will pray that prayer of faith with me. And if you do, then I want you to come and let one of these prayer teams uh, pray with you and seal that together. It's an important distinction. And whether you feel like you have come to Christ in the past, maybe you wandered away, maybe you never made the right kind of life-changing decision, today is a great day to do that. Can we pray? Father, we're thankful for the truth of your word. Thank you for what we can learn about as we go through the book of Colossians. We confirm that Jesus Christ, you are everything. And Lord, even now, I pray for those that are feeling a level of conviction in their heart and a wooing because you don't have the, the preeminent place in their life. You may be important, but not essential. And I pray right now that hearts would change and that people would yield to the conviction of the Holy Spirit and be willing to step out in faith and say, today, I make that declaration. I'm moving from that kind of a casual Christianity to a place that is centered, focused on the pinnacle who is Jesus Christ. And I pray for them right now that they would make that decision and you would change them and transform them and help them to enjoy all the benefits we have in our inheritance. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now I've asked Josh just to come and pronounce a blessing over you today. He's just going to speak a word of blessing. You just receive it. Please come and allow one of these teams to pray with you. You can even begin to come now. And if you have any other needs today, please don't hesitate. Let them pray for you. God bless you, Josh, if yeah. you'll pray. Yep, yeah. yeah, the altar is open and, and um, people are here that are, would love to pray with you. And so uh, with that, may you just go in knowing that you are qualified, that the Lord has qualified you. He has redeemed you. He has set you free and he loves you. So may you go and, and walk throughout your life with that attitude that Jesus Christ is everything.
So, Lord, I just bless and I just I just pray that throughout this week that we will just be reminded over and over and over and over again that you are sovereign and that you are Lord of all and that you are everything and that you will always be everything no matter our, circ- our circumstances, no matter where we are in life. Lord, we just love you and we just bless your name. Amen.